Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. What is up, through the keyholers? How are we doing today, Sunday? By my calculations, August the 13th, Sunday, 97 degrees in Oklahoma City. It was a hot SOB in Oklahoma today. If you were outside, uh, God love you. It was thick, it was nasty. And guess what? That's what through the keyhole is going to be all about all day today. It's going to be thick steamy and nasty but that's because matt burton's here i am here brady trantham and then of course alan kenny the three amigos i guess today peyton's out sick he's he's either out sick or guys he woke up and remembered that he's a michigan fan so he's like oh i I can't do this i can't do an ou podcast what would the michigan equivalent to through the keyhole be i don't know enough about michigan football to uh have peyton's missing these ones because what conveniently he's going to come back for like whenever the games actually start he's missing mm. like that i think that's the equivalent right you know bill self gets suspended <laughs> for four games that don't matter jim harbaugh gets suspended for four games that don't matter at all they're easily winnable i think that's what peyton's doing right now he's like all right you guys got this no games are going on right now i'll i'll come back <laughs> when the games start well now Har- harbaugh's not going to miss any games at all this year because uh he, they are, uh, you know, appealing or whatever. So it wasn't they, a, it wasn't a cheeseburger is yeah, apparently. it yeah. wasn't just that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Or, or, um, I mean, for all we know, Peyton is actually grounded and wasn't able to appear on through the keyhole. <laughs> uh, he, he did, he did make a bunch of Williams Winery references, I think on the last podcast last, because I, I think I pointed it out to him. So maybe old Peyton got grounded and, and it's okay, he'll guys. Out, he'll be out at Oregon next week. He'll appear on the next non through the keyhole podcast he gets asked to do, but we, we wish, we wish Peyton well, and we look forward to his contributions on Wednesday. Um, I don't know if we're going to do anything uh, Friday wise with uh, the $5 tier. I'm sure Peyton's cooking something up in his head though. He's always got something going on in there, but we will do our best to entertain and inform. So gentlemen's we're in fall camp. We're in the thralls of fall camp. The rugby fields are being, uh, run over it's it's really hot like i mentioned bless these kids hearts i don't know how they're playing football out there and full pads hitting each other with that type of heat but it's uh it's going on we're hearing things i'm sure um you guys matt now i'm sure you guys have read or heard some camp observations from people that have been in the know i guess uh, watching the uh, practices we all have our inside sources of course so we all have our own little thoughts but 
I'll just kind of give it around to the room. Uh, I'll start with you, Alan. Uh, I mean, the the easiest thing to say about fall camp really is just hopefully no one gets hurt. Hopefully there are no big uh, distractions like off the field uh, stuff, anything like that to go along with the preparations for the 2023 um, season. But if we had to kind of get into like specific things that you hope that you were to hear, like if you're put, putting your ears out there for people to kind of say, Hey, I saw this, at, um, heard about this at camp, or I saw this during a scrimmage, what kind of things are you hoping that you get to hear? Yeah. You know, I think that that in a certain sense depends on what it was that concerned you, you know, going into the year uh, for me, for example, tight end. Uh, and it, I, I, the lack of buzz around that position is going to be one that, uh, kind of, you know, uh, raises alarm bells for me. Um, you know, on defense, I'm obviously, I'm interested in hearing what's going on in the interior, but also, you know, on the edges too, up front and basically the entire defensive line. Um, and you know, that's one where I, there hasn't been a lot of talk period. So I just don't know what to, uh, what to take from that. Um, you know, it's good hearing some of the stuff though. I mean, you know, offensive line is going to be the foundation of your offense. And so that is, uh, you know, the, the, the word out of camp that those guys are performing pretty well and coming together right away as a unit is, is very good news in my opinion. Uh, but like I mentioned, you know, not hearing anything about defensive line, uh, and nothing about tight ends. That's, that's a little concerning. Are there even tight ends on this? I mean, I know there are, but I mean, ugh. can we just skip that position this year? Because I, I feel like it's probably going to be a thing. There's going to be a lot of Austin Stogner blocking. There's going to be a lot of, um, if there's a big noon kickoff game, there's going to be a lot of Gus Johnson, Gus Johnson, excuse me, and Joel Klatt, I, like isolating a replay on Austin Stogner and going like, watch him block. Like there's going to be a lot of that going on this year if there is a big noon kickoff. But Matt, um, anything else that Alan did touch on? Uh, I mean, to me, it's again, it's just we know the areas in which if OU is going to take a next step under Brent Venables in year two, we know the positions, we know uh, the unit groups. Um, so it's really easy to say something like defensive line, secondary, uh, offensive line. And then, of course, with this season in particular, um, rather unique compared to other OU seasons, receiver hasn't really been a problem that much um, over the last few years. So OU's at least always had a guy that and kind of point to and go, yeah, he's he's wide receiver number one. But anything in particular for you coming into fall camp? Um, I, I have an idea for tight end position. We just fully rebrand it in their H backs again. They're going to be H backs <laughs> again. There's no no more tight ends. Full rebrand back to H backs, and that should solve the problem. It's like, yeah, of course there are no tight ends. We have H backs here at this at this university. Mm. Um, for for fall camp and everything. I mean, yeah, tight end, obviously, giant question mark. For defensive line, I've actually weirdly heard heard some good things about, like, Grayson Halton there, who had, I mean, played well last year uh, as a true freshman, but, again, was kind of a, a tweener in size, right? Not as big on the inside, right? Uh, or to play on the inside, and then, you know, maybe a little bit too big to, to be on the edge. And he's put on a ton of weight, and I've heard uh, some good things about him, man, for real, but... Yeah, it's just a big giant question mark. And how could it not be coming off a six and seven season, right? And when, especially when you you replaced guys with the transfer portal last year, and you're relying on some more transfer portal guys this this year, I just 
I don't know. I, I really don't know. I'm not to, I'm not dooming or anything like that for, for the year because I still think he's going to do pretty well, but uh, it's just a lot of question marks going into this one. Again, we, we talk a lot about the the transfers and then the two transfer that's transfers that stick out to me last year, right? You had CJ Colden and Jeffrey Johnson that, you know, came from group of five schools, right? They came from group, group of five schools and CJ Colden did well, but it took him, half the year to make an impact because he didn't, he wasn't an early enrollee uh, stayed at Wyoming, excuse me, throughout the spring. So, but then, you know, some of the guys that you, you've brought in this year, look at a, a Trace Ford, a Rondell Bothroyd, Dejon Terry, like these are guys from power five schools. Like we've seen what Trace Ford can do whenever he's healthy, how disruptive he can be. Dejon Terry, I mean, a guy that played on Tennessee last year, Tennessee surprised a, a lot of people at how well they did. Uh, and a guy in Rondell Bothroyd who led his team in sacks, you know, team captain out there on the Wake Forest team that was just, eh, no, they're they're pretty good. But I mean, it's uh, it's going to be a, a fun to watch, but still, I I really don't know because there are just so many question marks, man. I, and I get it. this is the time of year where everyone looks good, everyone's playing great, everyone's going to you know compete for a starting spot. I get it. So it, it's tough to kind of sift through all of that. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up transfers because, you know, our very own Alan Kenny did a little deep dive a few weeks ago on transfers, the impact that they had on last year's team and kind of alluding to just kind of your overall uh, when you're looking forward into a new season with, you know, some inevitable transfers that come into your program based on what happened with that team last year. Here's what you can expect. It's not as simple as fantasy sports where you just copy paste someone's numbers from one side and you bring them to a new team and you just add it to that team collectively. It's not that simple. There's so many other factors and now, and you kind of touched on them. So um, I I think just kind of big picture wise, not even necessarily um, going into this season, but um, just in terms of like Brent Venables and the program and the development of the program, is this, do you think this is going to be the last year, or maybe there's going to be another year where there's going to be a hefty amount of incoming transfers that Brent is uh, is basically open for business as um, what he inherited in terms of culture, talent on the field, on the roster was so, it was bad. It was so bad that you kind of have to do something to kind of keep the boat afloat and bringing in guys from power five schools and some from group of five schools are what you have to do. So I'm just curious, like just based on from what you've kind of looked into, is this kind of the last year where that's going to be a thing? And then Brent can be very choosy with picky choosy with what guys he wants to bring into the program. Or do you see that? Well, because next year's a new conference, it might be a little bit of the same thing in terms of the off season. Yeah, I mean, I think that looking at it, there's probably a few positions where OU's going to have to look really hard in the transfer portal, right? Uh, defensive line seems like an obvious one, and that's, you know, a matter really of just the number of bodies that they have there right now. Guys who are upperclassmen are probably going to be gone, uh, you know, need, need some more size there. Maybe, uh, well, I think the tight end, as we've mentioned, is probably one position that they have to look at. But generally speaking, you're going to want to be moving away from taking in so many transfers. And I think that what we saw this year in my mind is when uh, Brent, you know, got here last year, it was kind of a case where he had uh, a number of positions where they just needed people immediately. Uh, And this year I feel like they were a bit more selective 
um, a bit, you know, and they were kind of shopping from a, you know, from a, a little bit uh, pricier section of the store, so to speak, when it came to some of the positions where they upgraded, you know, like Walter Rouse on the offensive line. I think that you're going to see maybe, you know, going forward, you know, a few of those guys coming through, um, but you probably won't see as many, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, mid-tier type prospects joining up uh, going forward. That's a good thing. Certainly is a good thing. I mean, the the talent is no doubt, at least in some units, going up. It's increasing. The talent, at least on paper, is going up into the proper direction. Um, there are some groups that are kind of still wait and see. Um, it's still very curious that they didn't really look into the portal. With all the guys they brought in, they no, we're good tight end. And they could have been very well happy with Helms and Llewellyn, and they unfortunately just get hurt. But at the same time, it's curious that you're putting your faith in two inexperienced players and then you bring in Stogner for the experience and he's been here before at least at, o, at OU um that that's a little confusing to me because I agree with everything you said um there were positions where they just needed bodies they needed human beings to fill a roster spot and that's exactly what they did but um I don't I don't know it's been very odd to hear Brent Venable say like this is what I want for my program you don't necessarily want to a transfer portal haven um, as a program, but because of the prag pragmatic factors that he inherited, he's had to kind of be that. So to me, it's just been interesting. But um, other than that, like I, I think, and you guys can bounce off of this all you want. Um, Cause we are, we already had kind of the Jackson Arnold show last week, um, Alan. And actually, you know what, speaking of that, I gave Peyton and Matt kind of a little thought experiment on the last podcast. And it was just kind of from the conversation of, um, well, you know, Dylan's going to be the starter, but then they're going to throw Jackson Arnold, out, Jackson Arnold out there a ton. And to me, that kind of confuses me because Jackson Arnold, while very talented, he's not a, he's not someone that you can create a package for in terms of like he's six foot six and two hundred and thirty five pounds. So on the goal line, you just tell him to run forward. Like that's a package that makes sense to me. That's not really going to in on paper, that's not really going to inhibit the chemistry of Dylan Gabriel or the rhythm of Dylan Gabriel. Um, so then my brain asked the question, well, what does that even look like? Is that Dylan goes out there for two or three drives and then they throw Jackson Arnold out there for a random drive only to pull him for the following drive. Um, and so kind of the thought experiment I posed to Matt and Peyton was let's just pretend that Jackson Arnold was on the team last year. And that was the thought process and everything, you know, the UTEP game, Kent state game, Nebraska game, all went the same way that they did. Do you just throw Jackson Arnold out there at some random point in the UTEP game? Because that was kind of close in the second half. Kent state, the offense couldn't do anything in the first half. And then Nebraska was great. Uh, so I guess like the overall question is, is like, do you think that that's a good idea? Can considering that Dylan Gabriel is a pure momentum, pure rhythm quarterback. And you're just already saying like, Oh, let's just throw this guy out there just for shits and gigs. Yeah. I listened to that discussion. It was, it was, you know, really interesting the way the different arguments were framed there. The way that I, I look at it is, I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if it matters to Gabriel's, you know, rhythm or momentum, anything like that to come in and out, but 
it's kind of like to me here's here's what i'm wondering okay so like let's say OU goes out and it's like the Oklahoma State game last year where they go up big early, right? And then you're thinking, you know, when they do that in the first game of the year, second game of the year, and then you're thinking, oh, okay, like let's go ahead and give uh, Arnold a series here. Well, like if if Gabriel's playing well in that circumstance, why would you want to take him out of the game, you know? Um, alternatively, let's say that Gabriel's struggling. You think, oh, okay, I'm going to throw – we're going to, we're so we're committed to putting Arnold in for a package uh, or pardon me. We're committed to putting him in on like the third or fourth drive of the game, no matter what. Well, like, I mean, what does that do? What if he, what if Arnold, I mean, are you, are you at that point willing to say, okay, if Arnold comes out and, and uh, goes, marches right down the field, are you keeping him in the game? Are you going back to Gabriel? Um, uh, there's just a lot of weird kinds of dynamics to that. I mean, if the idea is we're going to use him in a kind of belldozer type package and short yardage or on the goal line, uh, you know, or what they did with Caleb Williams, even in short yardage uh, under the Riley, I think that's a, that that's fine. Um, but I, I'm not a fan of the idea that, Oh, okay. We're going to stick him in there for a series or at, at a predetermined point in the game. You know what I mean? I mean, Matt, did anything in your head after your, we had that conversation? Cause I mean, I, I think Alan's right. It's going to be on a, you you don't go into a game with the rigid understanding that on the fourth drive he's going out there no matter what. Like if Dylan's kicking ass, like keep him out there. Right. He's quarter he's QB one. Jackson Arnold can be QB one when he either proves it in practice, proves it on the field in a game, or if unfortunately, God forbid, Dylan Gabriel gets hurt. So having a rigid idea of putting him out there on drive X is silly, right? I th- I think so too, and, and I just my mind just keeps coming back to, okay, if he's that fucking good, then play him, right? Like if, if he's that good uh, that you have to play him in the middle of a game, have to get him series, get him game times, then just play him, right? Like, like that's just, that's kind of where I'm at, at it. And if he's not, then yeah, it's Dylan Gabriel is your guy. And like, I expect, I think we all expect Dylan Gabriel to be the guy going forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they would have no problem like pulling the plug if, you know, another Kent State happens, right? Another Kent State happens whenever you're playing at Tulsa or something, right? You, they, you go through the whole first half, not being able to put any points up on the board. Hey, maybe they throw Jackson Arnold in there. It's like an energy shot. But, hey, if he does well, it, that might be Jackson Arnold's job now. Like, you know, that's this one of those things. But uh, for me, man, I'll just say let – let Dylan Gabriel ride, let him rock out. And then you're paying, you're paying those non-conference teams a lot of money to come play you. So if, if you handle business the way you you're supposed to, and you're blowing them out, Hey, Jackson Arnold coming in there and we're running the offense. You're not just going to hand the ball off, right? We're, we're paying these guys a lot of money uh, to come hopefully beat their ass. Uh, so you're running the whole offense whenever you get in. I, I think that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, just just roll with Gabriel so long as he's your best option. I don't it. it, it we don't need to overcomplicate this. Um, and you know, it's very possible if he gives that uh, if he gives that you know uh, if if he goes out for any extended period of time. I mean, Arnold. It's very possible will win the job in that in that stretch too. So, it just you know. It, it, you know, Gabriel, if he if he's the one that's best equipped to run the offense right now, have him throw him out there. 
if, you know, once, if, if Arnold at some point overtakes him, play Arnold. Seems like an easy, easy kind of uh, scenario to me. Yeah, the Kent State game last year is like the real tricky thing for me because I I can't remember, you know, off the top of my head. I'm sure there were some throws, maybe maybe a third down or two where Dylan Gabriel just straight up missed a guy that was wide open in the drive stall. But I'm also going to um, assume from my memory that it wasn't just Dylan Gabriel's fault that the offense was completely stagnant. Um, there were some play calling issues. There were some uh, maybe some missed assignments, maybe the ball you, you know it's not always on Dylan Gabriel it's not always on the quarterback but when you have a Jackson Arnold backing him up and the offense doesn't do well and the offense is led by Dylan Gabriel you're going to hear just you know, put in Jackson Arnold you're gonna he- that's gonna be like you know in the atmosphere and does Brent Minimals does Jeff Levy try to pull that trigger when it's you know not all on Dylan Gabriel um, if it's a situation like TCU last year where it's mm, it's just not your day. It is not your day. Um, we need we need some momentum. We need to try to snatch something that we don't have right now. That's where you throw in the kid and hope that that hope that he is magic. So, but that's fortunately a different topic for a different day. But uh, any other final thoughts on development uh, camp? I mean, I, I'm very uh, pleasantly surprised that we have heard the name Jaquez Petaway a lot from coaches and from people that have observed practice. Um, I, I wrote about it a few Monday posts ago about how if Jalil Farouk is going to have a season that we want him to have, Jaquez Petaway is going to be a big reason why that he is able to do that. So I, I'm glad that Jaquez Petaway is getting a lot of burn. Um, I, I listened to a little bit of Gabe's podcast and they mentioned Nick Anderson had a big day with their scrimmage. I think he had three touchdowns. Um, so that's, that's encouraging. So receivers, I kind of always erred on the side of, Someone's going to emerge. OU's always going to have a guy. Um, whether they're a first-round draft pick or not is, you know, who cares? You know, if, as long as they're good for us, that's all that matters. Um, but, I mean, any other final thoughts, guys? I, I really don't think so, man. I, I, I'm kind of with you. I've never really doomed on the uh, on the wide receiver front. I mean, OU's OU, especially at skill position talent. I think they're always going to have somebody. Like you said, Brady, they don't have to be first-round picks. They don't have to all be C.D. Lambs. Um, but I think you mentioned one time Antoine Savage, like, Hey, just, just have an Antoine Savage, right? Just be, just be a guy that can come in and make good plays, move the chains, catch the ball when it's thrown to him. Just the simple stuff, right? Just be, just have, do the simple stuff, do a simple job. So yeah, I'm not, not dooming on, on wide receiver until I absolutely have to. Yeah. And it also sounds like Andrew Anthony's also having a pretty good camp. Just that seems to be one of the messages that's getting out. Um, I, which is, which is very nice to hear, uh, cause there's a lot of potential there, man. I was watching some of the stuff that he did back at Michigan and like as a blocker, for example, I mean, he just got a chance, I think, to be a very nice kind of all around receiving option for OU. Um, you know, the one thing I, I think that, you know, kind of has me concerned is that I kind of figured both those safety spots would be locked down and the, the few rumblings I do hear makes it sound like the uh, free safety spot where you've got, you know, uh, Key Lawrence and um, uh, Reggie Pearson kind of battling out is, is still kind of, is still isn't shaping up quite the way everybody hoped. Um, So, you know, that's, that's definitely kind of one area. Another area I'll be keeping an eye on going forward. Yeah. I don't know about y'all your individual opinions on Key Lawrence, but once Reggie Pearson, once Reggie Pearson transferred to OU, I was, I saw that 
transfer in full hopes of, okay, please put Key Lawrence on the bench. Um, the guy is talented. We have seen him flash very, very good play. Um, he's never really flashed like any type of play that would make me think that, oh, there is like a level, um, like he is a level capable of being a special player. I've never really got that out of him. Um, my main concern with him is he just makes too many either mental or physical mistakes. Um, I, I keep going back to the Texas Tech game where I think it was like a third and eight and he had the guy dead to rights in the hole and he just lowers his head and runs right by the guy and he picks up eight, nine yards for a first down and that kind of continued text momentum into the second half. But um, Reggie Pearson just seems like the type of player that would probably just make the solid play and nothing flashy, but just clean up the play and, you know, like, hey, fourth and four is a lot better than first and 10. You know, they may still go forward on fourth and four, but you're increasing your chances. And if you get those chances more and more, um, you're going to be successful as the year goes along. So I hope that that's the case. But I mean, you're right, Alan. Like, maybe there's a reason for that. I mean, we're, we're only, what, a week and a week or so into fall camp. Um, they could probably be giving key... Lawrence like a ton of opportunities because he's been here for a few years and Reggie has been here for a few months or at least spring and a summer or so hopefully that's the case but um ladies and gentlemen the uh the next topic let me a little peek behind the curtain so I wrote the show map a few a handful of hours ago and that was before crystal balls got started getting uh, moved to opposite ends of the spectrum so um and I guess another little another little behind the curtain because I know Alan likes movies. Alan, are you a big horror movie fan or do you kind of stay away from horror movies? Oh, I watch them all, man. Okay, like so the last full Demeter, this this podcast is not it. Really fucking good. I saw that early, earlier today. Yeah, I've heard good things. Yeah, maybe it was just because I kind of went into it thinking like, I mean, I like Dracula, so that's why I'm here, but I'm not expecting anything. But the characters are really good. Uh, the creature design of Dracula was awesome and pretty spooky. Um, but yeah, it was a good little flick. And if you are kind of like me and we're like, I want to see Oppenheimer, but I don't want to sit in a theater for three and a half hours because I'll have to pee a lot. Um, the meter is, it's not that long. You can kind of go in and out and enjoy yourself. But I wrote the show map before I went and saw the movie. And then a lot of things have happened <laughs> since I got out of the movie theater and uh, waited patiently for the recording of this episode. Um, there is a big recruiting weekend coming up for the Sooners of Oklahoma. Uh, Matt, we've got williams Winary's uh, commitment tomorrow, correct, on the 14th? Yep, at 3 p.m. Right. Yes. And then are we expecting anything else, any other OU targets this this coming week or later in the week? Because I know David Stones is closer to the end of all. Yeah, David Stones is the 26th. Um, I don't know. Is it, I think Andy Bass from Heritage Hall is soon-ish. And we wait with bated breath on that one. Oh, you in Syracuse. <laughs> what was the other school in there? <laughs> was it like Cor- Cornell or Harvard? Or <laughs> no, like Andy Bass seems like a pretty good player. And if that's, I have no idea how good he's going to be. I know he's kind of a badass in high school, but if he's like a lower end player on your roster, I, I that's the type of player I want. You know, smart, seems to be able to be very multi-talented. That's the type of player you want. If he's not destined to be great, Second, second, third tier player, great. Bring him in. Um, but yeah, Williams Winery. And I'll just, <laughs> I'll just be real transparent. You guys want to talk about him? You want to talk about the uh, the shenanigans 
uh, going on right now, this very moment? We can. We can hop into it, man. I'm down. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah, so it seems like it seems like Missouri is at least making their final push for Williams Winery and for the recruiting people out there that are already kind of in the know. Um, for those that are not, um, Steve Whitfong, some other guy, Spiegel, Spiegel, Spiegelman, whatever his name is, national recruiting people just about in the last hour switched their forecast or at least just made their for, their initial forecast for Williams Winery, the number one defensive tackle in the country, five-star um, player out of uh, Lee Summit High School or whatever it's called in Missouri, uh, to the Missouri top. Now, this will, of course, hurt OU fans' feelings because for those that have been kind of following recruiting, it seemed like, well, two weeks ago, oh, Missouri's offering an absurd amount of money. I don't know if OU wants to match it, essentially, or get even closer to kind of make it worth Williams and Aries a while to come to Norman. Uh, I don't know if Brent wants to spend a ton of money on one player. I don't know if that's how he wants to run a program. Blah, blah, blah. And then a few days later, it turned into, nope, oh, you did something. And they seem to be back in the driver's seat for the services of Williams Winery. And that had been the case until the last hour. So, um, I mean, Alan, is this something that you kind of expected? Did you expect it to kind of be coming down to the wire? I mean, when you're getting into big battles for big big time players like this, it's always going to be the case. But um, I mean, we'll get deeper into it uh, if we want to, but I mean, what what did you kind of come into the weekend knowing that Williams Winery is going to make his announcement on Monday? What was kind of your thought process with this recruitment? Um, Everything I heard was suggesting to me that he would end up probably just stuff that I read, pardon me, reported by places like Sooner Scoop or what have you. I, I, Reading the tea leaves, I wasn't nearly as confident that he was going to um, be going to OU as so many as a number of OU, OU fans seem to feel like because um, a lot of signs are pointing here to uh, the idea of the family kind of or, or him, you know, I mean, essentially playing all the schools off each other to get the, the best offer, which is, in my opinion, uh, you know, go for it. I think that that's, that's perfectly reasonable. You know, I, I think that if you have confidence in your own abilities also as a player, you're probably not as concerned about like, oh, I need to go to Georgia or Alabama to develop me to become the number one pick. I mean, you know, I, 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 I'm always kind of skeptical about that. Um, you know, looking at this, uh, I, I don't know. I guess I'm – when it comes to stuff like NIL – I always get real concerned about situations where, um, you know, you get into a bidding war for a certain player and like, I don't know. I mean, it's, you don't want your school to get that kind of reputation that they can be kind of uh, leveraged you know, uh, in those kinds of things. And like, I also just have concerns at the college level about players in general who are, clearly you know trying to um get the best deal possible nil wise and i and it's not me throwing shade at them it's more like concern about how they view um 
like the college process or, or the developmental process, it, it, you know, is call is, is getting a big NIL deal, like kind of your end goal, or is it, you know, just something that you see is something you do on the way to the NFL. I want the guys who are focused on getting the big NFL deal personally. Um, so like I, if if Missouri is making some extravagant NIL offer for Williams and Monet, I I don't I'm okay with you know uh, kind of letting letting this one pass so you buy. I mean that's just that's just my my read on it, and I think that if you're confident in the uh, package you put together, you feel that it's fair. I I'd stay. I just would prefer that oh you steer clear of those kinds of bidding wars. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for me, like, if you want to go to Missouri, because, I mean, him going taking the, the visit to Georgia, taking the visit to Oregon, OU, obviously, yeah, no, I I get it, right? And he's the number one player in the nation. He's going to get significant NIL money wherever he goes. But then when – this one's always worried me, because when Missouri started making a charge, everyone's like, oh, you got to take Missouri very seriously in this. I was like, okay. Well, they've basically, I'm sure they've given him a blank check. Basically, it's just like, hey, yeah, whatever anyone else offers you, we'll throw more on top of it. And if the offer keeps going up, we'll still just keep going up and up. And, and listen, I'm, I'm I'm just like you, Alan. I'm like, hey, yeah, if you want to, if that's what your end goal is to make as much money as off NIL, more power to you. I got no, I got no ill feelings towards that. Um but the whole like charade of oh he he was grounded so he couldn't yeah. come he couldn't come to the OU visit because he was grounded that always whenever that happened I was like okay my antennas are up that's not like that's not normal and then a week later he's at he's at Oregon I just that never really made sense to me um but again like if if things can change it just looks a lot. <laughs> It just looks pretty bad right now with uh, Sam Spiegelman. Both of the like head national like recruiting guys on two different websites are are saying that it's it's going to be Missouri. It's it's not looking good for OU, but. Enjoy great food and drinks at the original Norman Hotspot and its first cocktail bar. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails is our choice for quality meals and drinks to enjoy the next time you're looking for a great night out. With locations in historic downtown Norman on Main Street and the Paseo Arts District in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma fans from all over the metro can enjoy Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Also, be sure to pick up or ask about Scratch's ready-made old-fashioned cocktail at your local wine and spirit store. Take the best Scratch concoction home to sit on your lounge chair and continue listening to this episode scratch kitchen and cocktails great food drinks and atmosphere listen if he wants to go to missouri and uh be be shitty for like not not him his performance is being shitty but be on a shitty team and do all that stuff but he's making a ton of money more power to him more power to him yeah that's the the part you mentioned there about the stuff like oh you know playing the games about uh Oh, I'm going to visit. Oh no, I'm grounded. Like that kind of stuff. That's the part where you kind of have to, if you're, if you're a coach, I, I get the idea of wanting to keep make that relationship open in the sense that maybe he changes his mind about, you know, or there's a scandal at Mizzou or 
you know, drink what gets fired. fired. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you want to, and you want to, you want to get back in that type of relationship. But like, I don't know, man. Like, there's just a certain part where when you, when the runaround is coming at you like that, like, you, you know, I don't like the idea of, oh, you getting used that way. Well, that, that's the my fear with this entire process anyway, is that we are being used uh, because it seemed like we got into this pattern of people that were following the recruitment closely as it, as it was their job to do so. It was, oh, using control. And then all of a sudden, oh, Missouri made an outlandish offer. Oh, oh, you did something. Now they're back in control. Oh, Missouri just made it like, it seems like this kid is just using OU as a gigantic leverage tool to get the most amount of money from whoever is the big donor at Missouri, um, well, Mr. Walmart, but I think that's Arkansas. So uh, whoever it may be, um, the biggest bag of money he could possibly get. And like, Alan, you did mention something, you know, I will say, because that it's it's a correct thought process to have. Like if, if you think that you are um, bound for the NFL, it doesn't matter where you play. So you don't need to have the mindset of, I need to go to Georgia or Bama or whomever um, to get there. Um, at the same time, if you think you're a g- great NFL player already as an 18-year-old, well, the chump change that you'll get from NIL will be paled in comparison to the NFL contract you will sign in three and a half years. So um, you can look at it both ways. And that's where I've always kind of like, at least in recruiting battles with secondary bullshit institutions like Texas A&M, Missouri, Arkansas, whoever the, the fuck they may be when it comes down to us and them. I just kind of have that mindset. Like, sure, I'm sure those schools could pony up a lot of money because that is basically their only advantage over a school like OU or an Alabama or whomever. Um, better programs. Like, maybe they just say, we got, we can't lose this kid. We Here is all the money. And hell, they might have told Williams Winery, we're going to make you the first college football player slash GM in college football history. So when we fire Drinkowitz after his four or five game losing streak to end the season, we'll let you choose the next coach. I mean, hell, it would not shock me, but um, I don't know. It's getting a little maddening to me because of the optics and recruiting is all about optics. I mean, one of the big, biggest reasons guys go into the SEC is the optics. Like, oh, you could not overcome the optics of not playing big boy football anymore in the Big 12. Players were not, were avoiding that conference like the plague, even though Texas and OU were in that conference. OU and Texas for the most part, historically played big boy football and put guys into the league. Uh, But it became more about the SEC and the optics of just putting that patch on your jersey uh, for the development, um, getting into the NFL. And now, in the wake of this, if this ends up with Missouri getting Williams-Winary by this time tomorrow, that means OU's last two big defensive tackle recruits have spurned them essentially at the last second for programs that would love to have the history of OU and would love to have the recent history of OU, would love to have anything to be like OU. And if Brent Venables wants to be the next great head coach at the University of Oklahoma, and I understand things are different and every every situation is unique, he cannot keep losing these battles. And I, I understand there are unique factors in every single recruiting battle but he cannot keep losing them in this fashion because that that is not good for optics moving forward unless 
you can just develop the guys that you have into badasses and then everything will take care of itself. But I mean, Matt, I know I'm crazy, so it's all good. No, you're not. Uh, the The point of, and I, I do get that, right? The, Hey, Bates and, and Brent have sent defensive linemen to the league, been, you know, had top 10 picks, top, whatever picks it made a shitload of money. Right. I mean, like Dexter Lawrence just got absolutely paid either like this off season or last off season. I can't remember, but like, uh, so I get it. The track record is there, but when you're a 17, 18 year old kid, the number one player in the nation, like I'm sure in his mind, he's been dominating football probably since he's been playing it there. There's probably no telling him that, Hey, if you go to Missouri, you'll, you might still be a first round pick, but it'll be like late first round pick. Right. Or if you come here, develop, play at a good school, you'll be the number one, number one, number five pick, like top five pick. There's probably no that's probably not computing in his brain. He's like, "What are you talking about? I've, I've dominated everywhere. Like, I'll be the number one pick wherever I go. Like, so I, I can just see it. Like, you know, oh man, to have the blind confidence of an 18 year old again, right? Like, to have that sort of uh, confidence again, man, that would be awesome. Um, so, but I mean, I do get that. They're not think like 17 and 18 year olds are not thinking rationally. <laughs> they're not. They're not thinking, thinking that way. Even if it is, even if it is very true. But like, so like, let's think about this though. Like you're OU staff, right? And I mean, Williams Winery is a kid from Missouri. If you look back at the history of these big time recruits out of Missouri, clearly Missouri puts a premium on getting, landing these guys. Luther Burden, Doriel Green Beckham, those kinds of guys. This is how it plays out. You know, Missouri comes in at the last minute and swipes them, uh, you know, you know, lands them. Like, so if the idea is okay, well, Williams and Airy is, you know, an NI so and so quote unquote NIL recruit. It's just gonna come down to how much money will someone pay him. Um the problem is is in an NIL recruitment, there's always gonna be someone willing to bid more. I mean, look in this case, Missouri's gonna blow, I'm sure, the what what OU would probably normally spend on five or six guys for this one guy. And like <sighs> After a while, you know, especially if you, if, you, if your reputation is okay, well, I mean, OU will pony up. Like guys are going to come into every everything expecting that they're going to get that money. There's going to be issues with you know guys, the you know freshmen who uh, land some big NIL deal, getting more money than the guy who signed last year. You know, and wanting to renegotiate or wanting to. It's a. I mean, it's a really really tough thing to manage. I mean, there's a reason why. Like you're. I think everybody was kind of surprised when Jimbo Fisher got so upset about all that talk about how much money A and M signed their guys for in NIL. Right. Well. I think that he realized like, oh God, everybody's going to expect that from us now going forward. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of just a road to nowhere at the end of the day. Not only that, making more than the, the next guy coming in, he's probably making more than in the coach, the, his position coach, like, like he's probably Impossible. making more per year than his position coaches. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just, that's insane to me. It's insane to me. It's, it's, it's pro sports, right? It's pro yeah, sports. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I like, yeah. And like, I don't begrudge these kids for doing that. Like no, go get it now. But it's, it's to me, it's more like, it's just not necessarily the kind of thing you want to invite into your program, so to speak. Yeah. No, I mean, it's on the coaching staffs ultimately to understand 
when is when is it the appropriate situation to keep pushing where you know that if we have the last word, he's going to make the right decision? It's it's up to them to understand when it's kind of a fool's errand where you're like, ah, we're getting used. You know, we'll just kindly back off, you know, like we'll, we'll keep our original offer on the table, but nothing is increasing, you know, what, what uh, whatever it may be. So it's yeah, on the coaching- one last point about this. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt very, but so like people are also a lot better now at using media and particularly recruiting media where you have um, a lot of people who, you know, uh, have a vested interest in, you know, seeing recruits go to different places or they're not exactly that concerned about, you know, the idea of objectivity or anything like that. And it gets to be a big problem sometimes when you have some reporters who get used, who, you know, get, you can tell them, oh yeah, I'm 100% going to OU when that's really not the case. And then you get the, you know, you get fans mad at the staff for, you know, uh, situations that the staff probably might have looked at and, and thought, I'm not so sure about this. And so like, you know, a lot of the, I just find a lot of the recruiting coverage in general to be so, you know, you just have to always have, you know, kind of uh, using the highest degree of skepticism possible when you're reading that stuff. To kind of, um, I don't know. Just uh, tomorrow, if you know three PM comes, if William Soneri chooses to go to Missouri, you know there's going to be a lot of a lot of chatter online from Missouri fans. A lot of you know trying to dunk on them, uh, dunk on OU fans, all that stuff. Like, oh, BV got put in the locker by Drinkwitz, all that stuff. Just you know, you guys went six and seven, and then when you joined the the SEC, you'll you'll be the new Nebraska. You're going to hear all that. You're going to hear all that tomorrow if Winery does commit to Missouri, but uh Missouri has two winning seasons since twenty fourteen. The fuck does that make Missouri then? As I, so I said they they've had yeah. two winning seasons since twenty fourteen and those winning seasons were seven and six and eight and five. So yeah. no. dunking on fan bases over where an eighteen year old kid wants to go to school is is for is the lamest of the lame. So just yeah and that's, that's not and also he's not signing anything. <laughs> tomorrow, that, like, yeah. once you're let's see if he, he's just committing he's not signing anything either so there's a long way uh to go until national signing day i think with where ou wants to be where they need need to be um in terms of their development as a program and then of course by joining the sec maybe in year one hopefully that'd be great but probably year two year three you know, you've got to sign guys like this. You have to get defensive linemen in order to win championships. And for OU to get back to where they want it or where they were, like they have to get these types of players that that, that have eluded them over the last 10 or so years um, for one reason or the other. And I mean, I don't know, guys, like if OU is able to only end up with out of Williams Winery, David Stone and Dominic McKinley, the five star defensive lineman out of Louisiana, um, who is apparently as of right now, it's down to like an OU Texas battle. Um, if they're only able to end up with David Stone and then let's say they, they've already signed Jaden Jackson or not signed, but they've gotten a commitment from Jaden Jackson out of IMG, the nose tackle. Um, and then they're still in on with uh, Danny Okoye um, from, I mean, he's, he's what is it? The Noah's Noah yeah, thing. Totally. Yeah. Homeschooled. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he, again, for those who aren't that into recruiting, just to give you an idea of how good this um, young man could be, I believe he went to a Bama camp. 
and was the uh, MVP of said camp, which uh, that is saying a lot. And if you just look at him physically, he is uh, looks like an incredible athlete. Um, I believe he'd be an edge, um, if anything. So um, if they're only able to end up with the guys that they have, maybe they add a, a Nigel Smith. He's been trending OU as well, a four-star four star defensive lineman, and David Stone. That's a wonderful start. I don't know if that would put OU into the driver's seat, you know, two years from now. And that's even if David Stone becomes like the next Gerald McCoy. Like if he is great, but you need to have the depth. You need to have other people because one guy can be schemed out of the play. And so that that's just my worry because it would be great to already have David Hicks. It'd be great to already have, um, oh, the, what was his name? The Dendy kid that committed a few yeah. years ago and then left for A&M um, after Lincoln Riley went to USC. So that's why Sorry, this <laughs> that's- was, my, my Missouri rant a little bit was, was brought on by uh, Steve Wiltfong of uh, 247 sports uh, in his little brief summary as to why he put in his crystal ball for Winery to Missouri. He said, you tell me which one of these, um, these two statements doesn't belong for the reasonings, the opportunity, opportunity to play in state for a rising program and the opportunity that brings regarding NIL has made the home <laughs> SEC program enticing. Uh, which one of those sentences doesn't belong? The because right, uh, like, I mean because rising yeah. program I mean the past three years they've got with Drinkwitz five and five six and seven six and seven where's the the yeah, rise? where's the rise yeah no I I was just as shocked as whoever read the Monday Post from last week to find out like how good Missouri is historically in terms of win-loss records against their conference opponents in the Big 8 and the Big 12, respectively, with the knowledge that they've never had a run. They've had a mini run. Like, they had a mini run in the 60s. They had a mini run in the early 80s. Um, They had a mini run with Chase Daniel. Then Curtis Lofton shut that shit down. Yeah, and and they've done fuck all with any opportunity they've ever had. Any window of opportunity they have done nothing with. So... Go rise with uh, Drinkowitz and watch him ride off into the sunset to be Nick Saban's regional manager on Alabama's staff next year. But more power to you. Um, I guess moving on, guys, um, we, we can talk about like what we'd like to see against Arkansas State offensively and defensively. But, um, I mean, Alan, you wrote a really good piece on Through the Keyhole, which you can find on our Patreon page at www.com slash through the keyhole um, about... What we have been experiencing <laughs> over the last few weeks to kind of just kind of, I guess, take off the glare of any hope, optimism of team uh, 129, 128, whatever the hell it is. And uh, all the comings and goings, all the ins and outs of conference realignment. So I'm going to let you just kind of have the floor with this one, because, I mean, I, I've been kind of an asshole in the in the group chat about how I just do not care about the Pac-12. I do not care about the Pac-10, but I understand its importance historically um, in terms of the landscape of college football. And I understand the importance of watching it dissolve before our very eyes. Um, But just everything that's kind of gone on with conference realignment, I mean, to say, to ask the question, is it done is is silly because we know it's not done. Um, The ACC, I guess, just kind of put the clamps down on the prospect of adding Cal and Stanford um, out of the Pac-4 um at least for now we'll see but um it's just it's going to get to a point where i mean even guys like chip kelly 
I think this was a quote attributed to him. I don't know if it was false or just made up or if he actually said it, but something about how, why isn't every program just football independent and just in a conference for every other sport more geographically friendly? I mean, I feel like that that's where we're going, but you have a better pulse on kind of the big money, big picture, big decisions than I do. So I'm going to let you have the floor on that one. Oh, yeah. I mean, what I, I mean, what I wrote about was, you know, I think that, a lot of people, and I think that there's a, a certain way that the media does this, where they like framing things in terms of like one person's, you know, like one person is in charge or making all these strategic moves or doing all this. Certain, and like, that's not what's happening here. I mean, these are like really big forces, you know, I mean, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars getting thrown around and, you know, you've got people at the university level making decisions based on, you know, fans like us and uh, boosters and donors telling them what to do. And I mean, this is all going the way that the, the TV networks want it to, because like they're able to really kind of exploit this idea that, uh, that in every case, you know, there's a overwhelming fear i think among every institution every fan base that they're falling behind and when it and i mean you know when it comes to money or recruiting or whatever and you know the only way to alleviate that is to always be you know chasing more money uh you know i mean that's what's driving every single one of these decisions at the end of the day um you know i think that uh you know, one one thing that uh, I think the Chip Kelly probably has right there is that, you know, down the line it would make there's there's going to be a point in time where Ohio State is going to say, you know, we you know make a lot of money in the Big Ten, but uh, if we all if we go independent with a group of about you know twenty thirty schools something like that we'll be able to make even more money and we'll have it. We'll, you know, we'll make, if we can make, you know, a couple million dollars more than Michigan, what have you, maybe that's a better place for us. And, you know, you're kind of moving that direction. I do feel like uh, as this continues to evolve, what we're seeing, especially, I mean, you got like a, however, 20, what, 18 teams now in the big 10, there's no real geographical sense to it. I mean, you know, at some point, are the the highest earners there going to kind of look at, you know, a Northwestern or an Indiana and just say like, you guys either need to take like a quarter of a share and give the rest <laughs> to us, or, uh, you know, or the ten of us maybe we'll just go off and form our own league and we'll have a huge revenue. I mean, something like that. You know, those are those are the kinds of things that I think are are kind of coming because it's it's very much a uh, uh, you know, kind of doggy dog world at this point. Well, it, you know, not to jump into your turn, Matt, but like that seems to be like the the natural order of things, Alan. Like in terms of how the market works, in terms of how the economy works, like things naturally seem to work as they must go, um, because that's always been a conversation surrounding like programs like Cal and Stanford for the longest time. Like ever since like the early two thousands, where like, do schools like this that want to produce doctors and engineers and physicists, do they really want to pretend to care about football, um, even though the paycheck that comes in because they get to pretend to care about football is very nice? Um, and it seems like 
if the big schools in these respective conferences get to that point where they're like looking at the private institutions in their conference that aren't particularly good. I mean, I, I know Baylor and Baylor is a fairly good football program, at least on the field. Like they're a piece of shit program um, overall in terms of the morality, but you know, we're not talking about that right now, but not every private institution in, in all these power five schools suck is basically what I'm saying. But it's going to get to a point, like you said, where like the Ohio States, and the Alabamas, the Texas, um, uh, the Florida, I mean, not even Florida state, they can't even fill out their stadium. Like those, those big programs look at the smaller schools and say, you're going to have to take a, a smaller pay, like a smaller cut. And then those schools will either decide yes, daddy, or they'll decide we don't want to do this anymore. And then you're going to be left with a bunch of former power five schools that don't participate in football anymore, at least at the D one level, or at least at the level that whatever this becomes. And then you're going to have those 20 or 30 um, programs that you kind of riffed on uh, Alan in terms of like maybe this hypothetical um, independent football college football league in the, I, I think that that's just where it's going. I mean, am I wrong? Um, I mean, you know, I was kind of skeptical about, about that for a long time, but I, I don't think you're wrong now. Just the way that things played out in the last couple of weeks. I mean, I've kind of gone over to the idea of this kind of, you know, 20 or 30 team, breakaway just because it's the way it seems to be moving you know the question that i have is i mean the thing like you know baylor still does have football fans that are going to want that like football right oklahoma state still has fans that like football hell there are cal football fans out there i swear i've talked to some of them. they do exist right so it's like those those fans though like where are they going to go like what are they going to what are they are they going to continue watching cal games i mean uh, like what what you end up getting when you get just the 30 biggest brands out there or whatever is you're going to get a lot of people like you know Vinny in long island who normally watches the jets and uh, nfl games all sunday he, he'll probably tune in because michigan is playing florida what have you but like I don't know the dedicated fans at a place like Baylor. I mean, they're going to be losing interest, right? Like Arizona, they're going to be losing interest, stuff like that. I mean, that's, that's kind of the coming conflict. And, and I don't know if, I mean, the schools are factoring that in necessarily to what they had to offer. I mean, Matt, do you like the prospect of a mini NFL with the football powers and the kind of tertiary football powers. So like Florida, the Florida States, the Miami's like, they're not blue bloods, but they've at least made their mark on college football history more so than an Oklahoma state or more so than a, than a Missouri. You know? So I mean, do you like that? Is that something that you're like looking forward to in the next 10 to 15 years? Or do you appreciate having like upsets and regional rivalries and local rivalries or just not even rivalries, but a familiarity with that annoying school three hours down the road that occasionally be us. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I would look, I would look forward to it if it, if it did happen. Um, my only, cause I, I've been pretty vocal that like, let's not pretend that Tulsa and Oklahoma or like Georgia and Alabama are playing for the same thing, but technically they are right under the guise of, Oh, it's division one football. And Oh, you can get into the playoff and, and all this stuff. No, like these, the, the group of five teams are not playing for the same thing that 
the power five teams are played for. It's just not happening. Yeah. Cincinnati got in, but that was literally lightning in a bottle. I mean, they have, they have NFL players all over the place. They have the defensive rookie of the year uh, on that team and they still got absolutely steamrolled by Alabama. Like it it wasn't even close. So uh, to, I would be fine with, Hey, like these X amount of teams, I mean, Hey, you're playing for, you're playing for this trophy power five. You guys are playing for the secondary trophy uh, or what have you. But yeah, I mean, I think like to the, the thing with OSU, right. Like uh, I think, which I, I'm sure that's kind of like what you're alluding to, right. Of the regional rivalry, like, Hey, like, I mean, I have family that are OSU fans. I'm sure you guys have like family or friends that are, that are Oklahoma state fans, you know? So it is going to be, uh, weird in that sense to not play those teams anymore you know it's gonna be weird to like to not play a Kansas State where you're like holding your breath every time that, like especially the last couple of years where you're holding your breath every time they they come to Norman or where you go up to Manhattan like I, I am gonna kind of miss that but I mean listen if OU starts you know because OU is gonna be included in whatever new league or or mini NFL or new power conference, like OU is going to be included. They're not going to be left out. So, uh, I, I mean, I would be open to seeing it personally. That's just because for me, the 130 teams or whatever, there's not 130 teams playing for the same title year in, year out. So I think that's kind of where I'm at. You know, one thing I wonder about too, I know we, we're going a little long, but like like on a, on a, on a fall Saturday, let's say OU plays at noon, right? And then Alabama's playing Tennessee, and, and you know, at the or I guess, pardon me, 11 o'clock. I'm on East Coast time, but 11 o'clock Central, Alabama and Tennessee are playing 230 Central, right? And like it's this big, you know, showdown between two powerhouses. But I don't know, TCU and Iowa State are playing over on FS1, and it's actually a really good game. And I'm more kind of interested based on history and based on knowledge and all that stuff in TCU, Iowa state, like that's, that, that's the kind of thing that like, I just don't know going forward if I'm going to have as much interest in, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to watch because I love football and whatnot, but man, I, I, I'm not, I just can't see myself getting this hyped up to watch Alabama, Tennessee in that case, if like, TCU and Iowa State are playing a really interesting game, you know? Like, that's the kind of stuff that I just don't know. I, I'm Again, casual fans are going to love that. They're going to want to see, you know, the pageantry of the of the SEC. But, like, I don't know if it, it, the the sense of, of history to me or what have you or whatever it is the uh, uh, that appeals about TCU, Iowa State, to me, it just, like, that's going to be lost, you know? Hey, Matt, where can we hear you on the radio? You can hear me on uh, 107.7 The Franchise, man. Starting uh, starting tomorrow from 3 to 6. Myself How does that Tyler feel, Neal. man? Feels How does good, that man. feel? It's been, a, uh, it's been a long road, man. It's been a long, long road. Seriously, though, man, congrats. You've put in so many hours, man. As, you know, whatever it is they need, like, that's a testament to just, well, talent and hard work, man. Seriously. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. No, seriously, I mean – Brady can attest. I was at, like, whenever I was first starting out, I was terrible. And I'm still, I don't think I'm very good now. Um, I'm, I'm at least better than what I was whenever I started out, man. And, you know, I just, I just stuck it out. I, like kind of tweeted out, man. I kind of just didn't leave. I was just like, yeah, I mean, 
I'll clean the floors if you need me to. I'll do whatever. It doesn't matter. But uh, no, seriously, that so one of the first things that anyone ever included me on was Brady Trantham and Madison Morris asking me to be on Thunder Post Game shows. Uh, so I'm forever grateful for them. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean it's uh, it's awesome, man. I, I just I just hope I do a, an okay job, and uh, I'll have I'll have Tyler Neal there with me, former OU basketball player. So uh, it'll be fun, man. No, I'm happy for you, man. That's awesome. I was, um, I, I don't know. It was, uh, it was fun to hear. I can't tell you when exactly I heard about it. Right, <laughs> I'll, yeah, just, yeah. I'll just, I'll just yeah. say that it, it kind of sucked to not to have to keep it quiet, but I know, it, was I was, I, it was weird. It was weird keeping it quiet those couple of days. Well, like, like here's the thing, man. You, the way that you strung those, those tweets out, man, I was reading that like, oh shit, Matt just got fired. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, oh shit, Matt's joining the athletic. <laughs> Max joining yeah. the athletic that's yeah. not good <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah no man so i was i I'm not only relieved but you know i'm so happy for you man yeah, uh, i appreciate really it man yeah i know and you know all this but like i bet erica is like thinking like oh we're in the big bucks now no big radio no. big radio money <laughs> no a very small step yeah. up that's, what, that's <laughs> a, a very small step up i was on step zero now i'm on step one She's definitely still the breadwinner, and that's okay. It's going to be like that forever. I know that. Empowered women, man. It's a great thing. Exactly. Trophy <laughs> husband. Trophy husband, baby. <laughs> awesome. Well, congratulations, Matt. And I'm sure if Peyton were um, again, he could be grounded. He could He could be sick. <laughs> he could be, you know, something. We don't know. But no, uh, Peyton, I'm sure, is also very, very happy for you. So I'll say congratulations from Peyton as if he were here, but, um, and I, I'm not going thoughts, anywhere. Guys? I'm not going anywhere, by the way, either. I'm still yeah. on through the keyhole. Still on by through the, the way, keyhole. Oh, yeah. still by the way, you shove through the keyhole through that phone <laughs> on the radio every day. <laughs> You're damn right. Man. I don't even You're care. Damn right. Tyler Neal is just going to be like, is that a, is that a idiom through the keyhole? What? <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> what is that? Why do you keep saying that? So silly. You're damn right. You're damn right. <laughs> um, but yeah, any final thoughts, uh, gentlemen, no man, let's get, let's start let's start really playing football. That's what I'm looking yes. forward to, man. This is yeah, yeah. I, I'm kind of t- so I'm kind of t- tired of talking about 17 year olds and uh, <laughs> billionaires saying I want to make more money over there than I did over here. So uh, that's my deal. But everybody, thank you so much for listening and continuing to listening to Through the Keyhole. Again, we've got our Patreon page, Patreon.com/slash Through the Keyhole. You've got a dollar tier for. Written articles. We've got articles coming out on Monday and Wednesday uh, by myself and Alan Kenny. Um, Peyton also puts out his written content. He'll put out more during the season when he actually has something to break down. But he did a awesome job breaking down the cheetah position and some potential cheetah position over the last few months of the summer. So you can go back and check that out if you haven't already. We've got podcasts coming as well. Peyton does a great job putting out great content. He did a did an awesome podcast that I'm. Um, I'm all for, uh, about the 1984, uh, university of Oklahoma board of regents versus the NCAA. Um, whenever you are asking your mom and pop about, and there's a thousand games on TV on Saturday as well, listen to that podcast and you'll find out it's all OU's fault, but, um, we've got all that. We've got more coming, of course, with more football coming our way. Uh, but for, uh, Matt Burton, Alan Kinney, myself, Brady Trantham, everybody, thank you again for listening. And until next time, Matt, do it. Boomer. <laughs>